Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I'm your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I'm Corey CJ Wesley. This episode is brought to you by the ServiceNow Development Handbook, third edition, which was recently released by a treasure of the ServiceNow community and Titans of ServiceNow alum, Mr. Tim Woodruff. Tim, how's it going? Fantastic. I woke up this morning and I got to be me again for the whole day, so I'm pretty jazzed about that, and I'm also very grateful to be here. I'm super jazzed. Every time I wake up and I'm not buried alive in a box, I'm just like, this is going to be a great day. I'm so stoked about today. (laughs) I'm just here, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So, Tim, I can't imagine how it would be that somebody would be in service now but not know about you. But just in case, why don't you give everybody a quick intro? Sure. I'm Tim Woodruff. I am a ServiceNow developer, administrator, architect kind of guy, more on the technical and coding side. As an architect, I'm more of a technical architect. I've written a bunch of books on ServiceNow development, administration, and architecture, including, as you mentioned, the ServiceNow development handbook. Now just released the third edition of that. Also learning ServiceNow, ServiceNow building powerful workflows. Don't buy that one. And I also run snprotips.com, ServiceNow Pro Tips, where you can find all kinds of free tools that are completely free, totally open source, available to anybody, and loads of articles on how ServiceNow works and all kinds of arcanery like that. Just loads of fun stuff to fill your brain hole with. Nice. So Tim, I got to ask, where do you find the time to do all of that? Well, it does help not to have a life. I'm the sort of person that if I get bored, I have to go and do something. And sometimes I can bring myself to play a video game for a few minutes at a time. But then there's this voice in the back of my head that goes, you piece of garbage. What are you doing? Go and build something. Or something. Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it, it's relentless. I just need to always be working. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, I don't really have much of a life outside of my work, which is perhaps not so unfortunate because I really do love my work. So it works out perfectly. There's that saying, right? Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life or exactly. something like that. I'm not entirely bought into that. But I have a question and that is if somebody hasn't read uh, versions one or two, if somebody hasn't read editions one and two of the ServiceNow Development Handbook, what's it about? And then on the tail of that question, what is version three bringing? The ServiceNow Development Handbook is a book that is really geared toward people who have at least a little bit of experience. So I'm really glad that you asked that question. I would hate for someone who's brand new to ServiceNow thinks, I'm going to go learn ServiceNow. What do I want to do? I want to go buy the handbook. It's too short for that. And a lot of people don't really read the descriptions of books where it does say that. But you don't want to pick it up if you're brand, brand new. You want to get another book that I've written called Learning Service Now, which is in its second edition right now. That one is great for learning the platform, just getting started with it and, and figuring things out. Once you finish that book or some of the development courses on ServiceNow and, and some of the basics and you know the platform a bit and you want to level up your skill set to the next level and maybe go from administrator who's dabbling in development to mid to senior level developer over a relatively short amount of time, that's who this book is for. Somebody with a little bit of experience who wants to really level up their skill set and their career. And what does third edition bring that second and third didn't have? 
That's a great question too. The third edition adds about 60% net new content on top of the previous book. So, or the, nice. the previous edition. So it's just loads of stuff is in there. Some examples are like, I go into a lot of detail in the third edition on debugging, how to, you know, when your code isn't doing what you want, how to figure out why that's happening. And I'm not just talking about add, you know, gs.info and or gs.log or something and print out some variables. That's obviously something you can do, but it goes into a lot more detail about how to really understand how your code is working. We even get into like rubber duck debugging, but also more on the technological side of how you do debugging, client side debugging, which a lot of people don't know how to do in service. Now there's a little more stuff about like naming conventions and, and, and pedantic stuff like that. But the vast majority of the new content is focused around the deep tech. I'm talking about performance, configurability, modularity, learning about system properties, versus user preferences versus session variables and client data and understanding how all of those various options for configurability and modularity in your application work together and which are appropriate for which situations. Talking about security, loads of new information on update management, cloning and clone cadences, as well as some examples of how to do your clone cadences, depending on how many subprod instances you have, just loads of new stuff. I think nice. even if you read the second edition yesterday, if you pick up the third edition today, I think you'll find just a boatload of new stuff. I think you'd be very happy with it. So, so let me ask you this question. Could I take a person, I won't say off the street, but a person with you know some degree of IT experience and some degree of, I'd say, you know enough industry level intelligence, right? Because they have the IT experience. Could I give them your books and get them up to speed to be like maybe a entry-level ServiceNow admin based on your material? If I have accomplished my goal, then yes. My goal is to create a series of books that allow you to do exactly that. There are some gaps in there. And in fact, I'm very glad you asked that question because I have an article at learn.snc.guru about how to learn ServiceNow. And of course, I mentioned my own books in there, but I also mentioned other resources as well. It's not a post for self-promotion. It's genuinely like how do you learn this thing and get the most out of it. And some of the stuff that I mentioned in there is like, you, you really might want to understand some stuff about relational databases and how they work, mm -hmm, how right. query languages work, understand ITIL. The Learning Service Now book is not going to teach you ITIL. It's not going to teach you relational. Well, it is going to teach you a bit about relational databases, but there are some some deeper concepts that it's useful to know that post gives you some, some of that additional context. Um, but aside from the, a few of the things mentioned in that post learning service now, and then getting yourself a little bit of experience, maybe reading some of the articles on snprotips.com and then reading, uh, after you have a little bit of experience, experience there, after you have a little bit of experience reading the development handbook, that should, if, if I have accomplished my goal, it should get you to be a pretty hardcore ServiceNow developer. Sweet. I love it, man. I love it. I think there, there is a, a huge lack of a path, I think, in this industry. I, I kind of stumbled my way from the magic um, community, from the old, old legacy BMC. Shout out to, to those Yahoo groups. And, um, and then ended up in service now and you can just kind of figure it out as you go, right? Like it, it's great that there's now a lot of reference material out there and, 
in the form of your books and your articles, right? That can give folks on the path to becoming a good service on developer. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there. I, I remember when I was first getting started and ServiceNow was still very new. It was something like a decade ago that I was first getting started. And I remember <laughs> so many moments of realization of like, oh, that's the wrong way to do this. And doing it this way really, <laughs> really screws everything up and sets me up for failure forever. Cool. I've been doing it that way for like a year. <laughs> sorry, so, clients. I'm really sorry. I should start looking for a new job so that I don't have to face the shame of everything I've already built. Um, <laughs> and, and I realized that like, you know, at first, of course, it's imposter syndrome and that kicks in hard and you think, oh my God, I don't belong here. I'm not a developer. I'm not one of you. Right. I don't belong in this space. But then you realize, oh, everybody's making this mistake. You know, you get to a certain point and then you go to the developer community Slack, the Discord, the community forums, and you think, wow, everybody else has the really stupid questions that I did too. Maybe they're not so stupid. Maybe I'm not so stupid for having those questions and for not knowing that out of the gate. Um, and so when I was writing these books, both Learning Service Now and the Development Handbook, I was really trying to channel that that inner newbie that I was, you know, when I was first getting started. And since then, I've trained a lot of people on how to do ServiceNow development, administration, and architecture. And I was really trying to channel them as well and see the material and the concepts through their eyes. With my teaching background, I think it makes me pretty okay at doing that. But the most helpful factor in the creation of these books has really been the community itself and seeing what questions people ask and getting feedback on, hey, I've explained this thing in this way. What do you think? Is this helpful to you? Or is it maybe a little unclear in some ways? So it really is, if you're, if you're ever feeling that imposter syndrome, just go to the community and look at the questions that other people ask and realize that everybody started somewhere. You know what's crazy? I think we're going to get a wave of that like we've never seen before, of just everybody's a newbie again. Like if you think about all the stuff that's coming down the pipe, like flow designer isn't really new, but I think it's finally there that nobody starts in legacy workflow anymore. Right. Yeah. And and so, there's a lot of stuff that's new, but not so new, but that's just got to a point where companies are starting to say, Hey, we want this built in this new way. Now that it's in this, in a state that it actually has something close to feature yeah, parity. Yeah. The same thing happened with service portal. When it first came out, there were so many missing features yeah. and now it's, it's really good. Of course, now they're, replacing it with new stuff but <laughs> well that's what i'm talking about and it's just i remember when being a newbie meant figure out what catalog is figure out how to build your own custom task-based app you know what i mean and you're basically yeah. there <laughs> you're not, yeah. great you're not a newbie anymore but now it's like you can get decent at virtual agent and still not know about everything available in catalog still not know how to operate that that new like the front end catalog builder for the uh low code devs yeah. And then and then now everybody's going to have to reckon with that UI framework that they're coming out with that's going to be quote unquote standard in the next version or two and it's like we're going to go from an industry full of pros finally a decade right. and a half later to <laughs> to everybody's at zero again cuz nobody had, knows how to build whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, Rob, when, when you were getting started and when I was getting started as well, I think you've been doing this even longer than I have. You know, when we were all getting started, ServiceNow was 
little more than some sugar on top of a SQL database that later became a MariaDB database. And now there are so many layers on top of that just database and an application server running Mozilla Rhino, a Java-based implementation of JavaScript. And there you go, have fun. Here's an API to interact with the database. Go nuts, right? And now it's yeah. there's so much extra stuff not necessarily between you and the database, but also on top of the database that you then have to interact through. And they're optional, which is one of the great things about ServiceNow is it keeps the platform so open to development and to creativity. But there's also so much cool stuff that, that they've built that we now as developers want to interact with and want to provide those features and functionality without reinventing them for mm -hmm. our clients. But still, fundamentally, it's some sugar on top of a database with a Mozilla Rhino Java-based implementation of Java on an application server, and then all this other stuff on top. It's really cool how far it's come and a little daunting, I'll be honest, but still really cool. So let me ask this question. As you know, there have been a lot of features that have been added to ServiceNow, and there's uh, a lot of new customers. And because of there, because there's a lot of new customers, and because of the um, pandemic, and everyone's moving towards a more work from home, cloud centric infrastructure, I feel like there's been a uh, a surge in ServiceNow uptake and demand, and so on and so forth. How do you think all of that growth in the market? impacts your book and from a number of perspectives one on the ability to sell it but then also uh two on the ability to get it in front of people well i think in the in the short term i don't think it's going to make a lot of difference because it's geared toward people who already have some amount of experience i think i, I have noticed a spike in sales of learning service now the the book that's kind of more for beginner to intermediate service now administrators and developers but as far as the third edition of the handbook i don't expect to see a significant change in the short term but in the longer term it might lead to more sales Personally, I don't really track sales that closely, though, because I suppose the main reason is I don't I make hardly anything off the book. I've priced it in such a way that I want to make it as accessible as possible to everybody. I just really, truly love to teach and to help people out. I've given away, you know, a bunch of free copies already to people who just you know, couldn't afford it. I would like contrive reasons to give them away on Twitter and stuff like that. So but it's a labor uh, of love. Yeah, that's that's really it. And the fact that the community did the same for me, like when I was first learning ServiceNow, the community did so much to get me up to speed, help me out. It was very patient with, you know, my newbie questions and not understanding the unique ways in which the platform did things. I want to return the favor and do everything I can for the community of newcomers and seasoned pros alike who are out there now. And let's you know, drill down into that a little bit, right? Because how much do you feel that the the community helping you out actually puts you on the path, one, to become a rock star, you know, ServiceNow architect, developer slash person, right? And, and two, just to keep you in this industry and enable that career path to even happen for you. A hundred percent of that can be attributed to the community. I would not be doing ServiceNow right now as a career at all, if not for the community, especially because back when I was getting started, we didn't have the developer site. We barely had a wiki. Uh, <laughs> the wiki was cool, man. The wiki was cool, but there was a time when it, even the wiki was new and all of this, you know, knowledge was, you know, not well organized or, or, you know, if it existed at all in anything other than like some article on some, mm -hmm. you know, medium 
<laughs> website. And so without the community to, you know, sometimes just appoint me to an article and be like, it's already over here, dummy. And I was like, oh, I, now, now I know what terms to Google and not bother anybody over it. But without having that community available, I would never have been able to get to where I got to the point where I could. I think that there are two fundamental forces opposing every developer. One is the force pushing you forward. And maybe that's your own passion. Maybe it's the people around you. Maybe it's your bills, your spouse, or the community itself helping you out. And then there's the force of, discouragement, the difficulty of learning something new, and most importantly, imposter syndrome. And you can really distill this battle down to imposter syndrome versus your support network and the people who are there to help you and the resources you have available. If the resources are stronger than your imposter syndrome, you might just become an amazing developer. Man, that's a great point. That's a great, great point. I think about it and, and the same thing, right? Having the wiki and having the folks in the community and then having people like Duke, who honestly like kept pushing me along the way when I wasn't sure how to measure my skill set versus the other folks out there. And he's telling me, man, dude, you're a rock star. You got this. And you know, and I'm not much for uh, imposter syndrome, you know, I'm a fairly cocky guy, but I totally had imposter syndrome around my ServiceNow skills early in my career. And, you know, without, like you said, without the support network and without the community and such and being able to validate my knowledge against other folks, I'm not sure how long it would have persisted. I know what you mean exactly. If I could instill one piece of wisdom that I've learned through my failures over the years into every single new and intermediate and even senior developer out there, I would grab their face and scream into their brain that when you feel, and, and I think everybody gets this feeling, and maybe not, maybe it's just me, but I think everybody gets this feeling where there's a thing you don't know. And suddenly you're confronted with this feeling of, I should know that. If you approach those moments with humility or even confidence in the face of not knowing something to say, hey, I haven't heard of that before. I want to. I want to understand it. Don't say, oh, I should have known that already. I should already have that in my head. Don't even approach it like that. Come at it with, wow, that's awesome. I want to know about that. Tell me about that. Not only will your imposter syndrome shrivel from that impact, also, the people that you're talking to, you think they're going to go, this idiot, you should totally know about this thing. They're not. No one is going to do that. Nobody decent. And if anybody does, excise them from your life immediately. Instead, anybody worth their salt will say to you, absolutely, I'd love to talk about this because I too am passionate about it. And I love to share in my passions. I think that's the way it should be. And that's the way most developers really are. And if you approach them with humility or confidence in the face of you know, not knowing something rather than trying to BS your way through maybe an interview. And this applies to interviews as well. You might think interviews might be an exception, one of the few exceptions, but no, it applies to interviews as well. If you're in an interview and somebody says, do you know about this thing? And you don't, even if it's just a throwaway question, have you ever heard of, I don't know, flow designer, <laughs> right? If you haven't say no, say, oh no, but what is it? Tell me about it. Everybody will appreciate that more, including you. Hey, yeah, totally agree. One thing I want to know, Tim, we talked a little bit about the community members that helped you out way back in the day. Could you maybe make a couple shout outs to people who helped you in your early time? Even people who have just been like uh, a sounding board for me to bounce terrible ideas off of, people who can contribute and can just listen are so valuable to me. 
And I, I, I'm really bad at time and at names, but a couple people's names pop into my head. Will Mitchell is a friend of mine who is always around for me to bounce dumb ideas off of. Jace Benson, I think his website is, what is it? Jace.pro, J-A-C-E.pro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, amazing stuff. Great blog. Go and read it, subscribe to it and send him goldfish in the mail or whatever it is that normal people do to say thank you. <laughs> He's a, an amazing member of the community. And I've been following your content as long as you've been making it. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. <laughs> but you're talking about imposter syndrome early. That's me. Every time I look at, gosh, the Rome release notes, man. <laughs> we got improvements to this feature. Excuse me, what feature? <laughs> That's a thing now? Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it, but I'm deep in imposter syndrome right now. Deep. Oh man. I had a similar moment recently with the debugger. I was looking at the debugger and I noticed, oh, there's this little bar at the, I'm talking about the server side uh, script debugger here. There's this little bar at the bottom. It says console. It's got a little Chevron, little arrow facing Mm -hmm. up. I click on that. Oh my God, there's a con, there's a server side console and I can just execute arbitrary code while my code is running. That's so cool. (laughs) <laughs> and and then I and then I posted to uh, ServiceNow developer community Slack and Discord channels, and a bunch of people were like, "Yeah, that's been there yeah, for for like a while." Couple versions. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Well, why didn't any of you tell me?" Yeah. <laughs> Those are my favorite moments, though, because I'm always billing myself as not a real dev. Like, I'm not a dev's dev. If if ServiceNow imploded overnight, I would not go into development, right? Which I think is like the the minimum standard to be call yourself a dev. But (laughs) (laughs) for me anyway, right. And I'm always hardest on myself, but like, I think I was talking to like a serious dev friend, somebody I really look up to and they didn't know about log points. And I'm like, then how do you, how do you troubleshoot anything on prod? You know, they give you this, they give you the stink eye. Like, are you saying you can put log statements into code on prod? Like that's a no, no, right. Not if you're using log points though. (laughs) So. Yeah, and and conditional log statements too. It's uh, part of the same thing. When you go and uh, create a, a well, for anybody listening to this who doesn't know that, you right click on the little breakpoint, the line numbers in the mm-hmm. script editor. Right click on that. You got more options. You can you can go nuts with it. It's crazy. That has been a big thing in my mind because I don't know how many weeks of labor I've spent over over thirteen years, like. Oh, we have a problem in prod. I know it's a problem with the script. I know it, but it doesn't manifest the same behaviors on dev, no matter what I do. <laughs> and so it's like, how on earth can you troubleshoot it where it's manifesting? Yeah. And to pivot off that, the differences between prod and dev and dev and test and test and prod, I think a lot of people, and it's actually one of the sections that I added to the third edition of the handbook is about cloning and instance management and update management. And, and tracking, keeping your instances in sync is very nearly a full-time job. It's a constant battle between, on the one hand, you don't want to interrupt development and tell everybody, okay, export all your active development and have a one-day freeze where the, the clone happens and all this kind of thing. But on the other hand, instance drift is deadly. I have tried so hard so many times to explain to one development team or another, listen, if you have two different dev teams working in two different dev instances, and they both touch the same file, you have a problem. Because if you deploy them in the opposite order from which they were developed, then you're going to have a collision and it's going to be confusing and you're going to have to manually merge. But if you deploy them in the same order they were developed, 
then update B will overwrite update A. Update A will just disappear and stop working, and you'll have no idea why, because update B shouldn't have done anything to update A. It was working when you deployed it. Uh, it's it's a thing you really have to think about a lot. And to that point, I have uh, clone cadences. Specifically, I've got a sub-chapter section on multi-development environment clone cadences that allows you to have basically zero downtime between clones, but also basically zero risk of instance drift. I think it's a pretty neat approach that I've implemented at a couple of clients that I've worked at, and it's worked out great. Nice. Yeah, I, I find that clones and updates and that whole uh, ecosystem is always one of those things that it seems like everyone is always doing it differently, no matter where I land, right? Like I get to a client, I'm saying, hey, what's your clone cadence? Oh, we haven't cloned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's the worst answer. <laughs> what is cloning? Oh, God. Or something that they, they, always, they always plan to do, but never do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's always some reason you've got to put it off. Oh, no, we have some important development right now and we can't possibly pause it. Yeah. But there's always that kind of thing. My other favorite is I pop in a client, big client, right? Multinational company. They got a ton of instances, right? You get in, you're engaged in a project, and all of a sudden you get an email with 20 minutes ago saying, hey, we're cloning down over the over the instance where you're doing your work. Um, thanks. Yeah. How, how else can we be of help, right? <laughs> how else can we help you? Right? Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Fine. If you just want to throw away all the money you just paid me over the last three months to build this crap, crap whatever. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I've had to do so many ultra rapid update set and batch backups, you know, export to XML to back them up yep. that in most of the instances that I've worked in, I've added an exception to that uh, UI action that allows you to export it to an XML, an update set, so that it doesn't require that you close the update set first. Oh, nice. And as long as you, you know, you, you have to be careful about it. You can't just go in and change that role. There's some logic you have to update as well, but you can do it. There's no reason that an update set has to be closed in order to be exported for a backup. You just want to maintain your version numbers and be careful about it. But if, as long as you do that, there's no reason you can't, you know, back them up while they're open. And it does contain all of the updates, even if they're open. That is awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. Same. I should maybe add that to the fourth edition of the handbook. I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of that, do you find that the drift between, not drift or strong, but the, the expansion in base functionality between the platforms, is that a problem for you version to version or just not in your scope? Does the question even make sense? Between the, do you mean like between platform versions? Yeah, like between, I mean, between Paris and, and Rome, there have been to me like so many huge fundamental additions and not in terms of what we were talking about earlier, where like the stuff is kind of like maturing as it's going, but just completely new stuff like instant scan, yeah. right? which helps a ton on upgrades and just general creating and sustaining good architecture. Does, a, does something like that come up in every version? You're like, oh, God damn it, another chapter I got to write. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dear Fred, I need to stop adding stuff to the platform. Pump the brakes, dude. Pump the brakes. <laughs> Guys, I am writing these chapters as fast as I can. Could you please stop making it better for like a month? Um, <laughs> um, not so much because between editions, I also, I'm writing on snprotips.com and I'm, if you're not subscribed there and you have, or if you buy the development handbook and you're not subscribed to SN Pro Tips, go get subscribed. I really, truly do not. I send out maybe one email a quarter, if even that. 
and it always is full of content. It's never like, hey, uh, come and like give me your money for consulting or something. I, I never use it for that. It's 100% for content and free tools and articles that you probably haven't seen yet. So go get subscribed to that. And what you'll see is articles and tools and all that cool stuff between the big uh, editions of the book. And some of that stuff makes it into the book. Some gets rewritten in the book. And there's a bunch of net new stuff that never made it into an article in the book. But if you want to know what cool stuff is happening in between editions of the handbook or learning service now, service now pro tips is where I put all that stuff. And, you know, it gives me something to do. And by writing those articles, it gives me sort of a pre-written, at least outline of the kinds of concepts that I know that I want to touch on in the next book. So it helps me out. Love it. One question that I haven't asked, what made you decide to write a book to start? I mean, cause you, you're obviously, you have a blog, right? Like you write posts there. They're very mm -hmm. informative. Folks can subscribe and get email updates and all that kind of stuff. And you can just continually pump out content there. And it, it's a lot more lightweight from the perspective of a responsibility, right? So taking on the undertaking of creating a book or writing a book, publishing it, going through that whole process, you know, is a, is a next level layer of responsibility and, and just kind of effort. So what yeah. made you actually sit down and decide, I'm going to write a book about ServiceNow? That's actually a really great question. So the reason that I did that, there, there actually was a really specific reason, is because I was thinking, it was when I was writing the How Do I Learn ServiceNow article, which is at learn.snc.guru, like Sam, Nancy, Charlie, snc.guru. When I was writing that article, I was thinking, Wow, you know, I've got a bunch of other articles here about like this specific arcane piece of the platform, but, and, and I've got this article on, on this piece and this article is an introduction to that. And that's really useful for a newbie, but it, you still need some kind of foundation. How do I like draw some kind of wiggly line through all these articles and give you, here's all the information you need, start to finish, start here, then go to that one, then go to that one, and so on. And I realized that not only is all of that information not on the blog, because of course, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, most people, they see an article on that, and they're going to be like, well, that's basic stuff. Most of the people subscribed to the blog are already a little bit experienced, at least. And so I don't want to necessarily write a whole article on like, here is the elements of the ServiceNow UI that you need to know what they're called, right? So if someone refers to them, you know what they're talking about. I don't want to make that an article necessarily. And so I realized I need another vehicle for this information. I want to write this down and convey this to somebody because I think that the existing training, while often pretty good, still sometimes like... Rob, when, when we did that Titans of Now interview, I talked a little bit about a lot of people when they're learning, learning JavaScript, they ask, okay, so I've, I've learned enough JavaScript to write some code and make it do a thing. Where do I actually write the code? Give me like a window that I type in code and then press a button and it runs. How do I do that? Just fundamental questions like that. I want to be able to answer those questions and tie all the other information together. So how do I do that? And the answer was a book or a series of books on ServiceNow development, well, administration and then development and then architecture, starting with the UI and then moving into the deeper and deeper and deeper tech. And I, I just decided that was the best way to go about it. I also want to do a, a video series at some point and break them down into topics, but you know, I'm lazy, so I haven't done that yet, <laughs> but one of these days. 
Yeah, video is always harder than a written word, I find. I mean, you can just pull up a, a Word document or whatever and, and just start typing and that's all good. When you're doing video, yeah. that getting it all, all together and, and yeah, 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 no thanks. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's hard to jump to unless you break them down into tiny little chunks in the, each video is like a three minute long thing on one specific topic, then it's hard to like search through and find exactly what you're looking for or to go through start to finish because they're all broken up and you kind of run into the same problem as the articles. So for me, for the first version of how am I going to get this information out there, make it accessible and make it a thing that everybody can just pick up and just screw it. Let's go. Let's learn service now, starting today, starting right now. And that the way to do that for me was a book. All right, folks, we are at time. I want to thank Mr. Tim Woodruff for joining us again today. Please check out his book. It is at handbook dot snc dot guru some other links that he has which you'll find in the description below learn dot snc dot guru if you're a beginner and want to work your way up to the development handbook we also have learning service now which is lsn dot snc dot guru we have a link for talking about service now careers career dot snc dot guru and then his blog that he uses between his versions of the book is snprotips.com thanks again so much tim we really appreciate you yeah, no worries. Really Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's always a joy talking to you guys. And it was great having Pleasure a chat. Ours. Corey, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, they can find me at LinkedIn at my full name, Corey Wesley. I typically, like I say, always accept most connections and I'd like to chat too. And if you want to reach out to me at techvoyant.com too, that's where my uh, business is and where we do practically everything service related. For a second there, I thought you were going to say like LinkedIn is your site. <laughs> <laughs> Find me on my website www.linkedin.com. <laughs> Where me and my billions of dollars hang out. <laughs> All right. And if you want to get in touch with me, I'm at theduke.digital, where you can find my course, Hired, the definitive guide for profiles that win ServiceNow jobs. All right. Thanks for listening, folks, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.